0: The real big topic that you need to focus on when thinking about if decoupled is something you should do is really comes down to your workflow. Decoupled has a lot of benefits. It can make it really fast. You can have a static site. By decoupling it, you can use different tools on the front end you can more easily move between tools whatever your creative mind can imagine, there's tons of room for benefits and how flexible it can allow you to be and flexible it can allow your website to be. Having a decoupled environment, you have all the control of what goes on the front end and what makes it there.
1: Hello and welcome to We Make the Internet. My name is Steve Persh. I'm the Director of Technical Marketing here at Pantheon, the platform for extraordinary websites. And extraordinary websites are made by extraordinary teams. On this podcast, we look at the team sport dynamics of website operations. Now in the 2020s, the market pressures around websites have driven a kind of hyper-specialization in web teams. Search engine optimization specialists, user experience specialists, back-end developers, front-end developers. Some people even think of the front of the front-end and the back of the front-end. Today's guest inhabits a different world than that one though. Rachel Cherry is the founding but soon to be outgoing director of WP Campus. WP Campus is a community and conference that brings together web professionals, educators, and people dedicated to the confluence of WordPress in higher education. I had the privilege of attending the first WP Campus in-person conference back in 2016, and I was struck by how strong and instantaneous the connections were that were made in those hallways. Most everyone there could commiserate around the challenges of being understaffed jacks of all trade who had to run WordPress sites that were critical to the mission of higher education. In the many years since then, Rachel and I have run into each other at numerous conferences. We collaborated on Decoupled Architectures for Pantheon and WP Campus' own website. But in the time warp that is these pandemic times, I don't think we've had much contact since co-presenting on the five W's of Decoupled at WP Campus's 2020 virtual conference. So, Rachel Cherry, So happy to have you on the podcast. Welcome to We Make the Internet.
0: Hello, Steve. It is lovely to see you, quote unquote, over the internet, so to speak. (laughs) But thank you for having me. Yeah,
1: (laughs) we'll have to settle for a Zoom here in the pandemic times. I'm certain we'll cross paths in person at some point again. (laughs) Who knows when? I've enjoyed... Our online chats in the early pandemic times when we were collaborating around decoupled things and those early virtual conferences, WP Campus, I think, adapted pretty well to doing a virtual conference instead of an in-person conference in 2020. But let's go back earlier than that. Let's go back to the founding of WP Campus. What was it that brought you to thinking The world needed WP Campus. The world needed something to bring together that confluence of WordPress and higher education in some kind of formalized community.
0: Yeah, so I guess to like paint a clear picture, WP Campus is a community that I founded in 2015. And a high level description is that we are a group of folks who work to use WordPress To support the mission of higher education. And what that mostly means is it's mostly made up of folks actually working in higher education and using WordPress for their websites, for their marketing websites or for their web applications, in a lot of unique and varied forms. We also have a lot of people outside of higher ed that just want to be supportive. You don't have to work in higher ed to be involved in our community and to present or attend. It's one big group who's working together to support higher ed. And so how this started is I actually have been working in and out side of higher ed, supporting higher ed since 20... Oh, sorry, man, I was going to say 2011, but actually 2007. 2011 is when I started using WordPress in higher ed. So 2011, I'm using WordPress. I started attending some WordCamps. I'm originally from Alabama. So at this time, I'm living in Alabama. I'm going to WordCamp Birmingham. I think I went to one or two other ones. And I'm enjoying the camps and all, but no one's talking about the topics that I'm focused on. No one's talking about the problems that I have in higher ed. No one's talking about solutions. And I could feel that void, so to speak, when I go to these camps. And in 2015, it was summer, I believe. The idea just kind of came about. It kind of came about from a discussion on Twitter. But ultimately, I feel like the idea was brewing in there all along that I wanted and needed a community of folks who were more invested in my very particular niche and therefore, could talk about the things that I'm working on, the problems that I'm having. And so we threw together a Slack account, put together a website, and started having these online discussions, and then started planning. And in summer of 2016, we had our very first conference in Sarasota, Florida. And ever since then, we've had some form of a conference every year. You've mentioned that we kind of were able to adapt pretty well to the COVID life because we actually had already been having online conferences. In our usual year, we have one in person and we have one online. And so, yeah, we were able to adjust pretty well because we were already familiar with online stuff. But the community is still going strong. The Slack is still going strong. And it's really a great group of folks to be involved with.
1: Yeah. And in those times in between conferences, In those Slack groups, what are the sorts of conversations, what connections are being made there?
0: A lot of it is folks who are having like a specific problem and are looking for how others have solved the problem. And something folks have probably heard me say a fair amount is higher ed is what I describe as enterprise on a budget. (laughs) You know, people had these enterprise problems in higher ed, but they have limited resources not all the time but most of the time. And so what comes of that are these very interesting and very creative solutions for how to solve these problems at scale with either limited resources like a small team or limited budget. And so if you pay attention in the slack you really get a lot of these great conversations about you know anything from like tech to like what plugins are people using to solve these very specific higher ed cases or governance, how are people managing content when you've got like 300 content editors on a site, stuff like that. And yeah, so it's a, it's a really great group. There's even, you know, some funny stuff like Taco Channel and things like that. So there's lots of, you know, there's a variety and there's friendships. And overall, we strive to make it like an inclusive and fun place to network and to help with your job.
1: Mm-hmm. It sounds like to some degree, WP Campus then is filling the role or filling that team dynamic that some web professionals might get from their direct coworkers or across an agency client relationship. It sounds like in higher ed, there are a lot of teams of one of sorts And because everyone needs teammates at one point in time, when they need to do enterprise on a budget, of course, people are going to look like for others who have done it before.
0: Yeah, exactly. A lot of what you'll see in higher ed is small teams or teams of one. And honestly, for the first like seven or eight years of working in higher ed, I was always a team of one. And... I was the person writing the code and I was the person doing the design on the front end and the back end. And I was writing custom plugins and I was having to like worry about things like SEO. And I was wearing so many hats. And that kind of, you know, runs alongside what I was talking about earlier about how I was looking for a community because I was on my own in so many ways. And so, A great thing about campus is we do have a lot of folks, sorry, when I say campus, I mean WP campus. I use that for a shorthand a lot. So we have a lot of folks who are teams of one or teams of two, and they are looking for that networking. They are looking for someone to throw ideas off of. They are looking for help. And I do think we have a unique environment in the world of hire, in the world of web, and in the world of WordPress that we have a lot of folks who are working at different organizations, but there's not a competitiveness, right? There's not a, we're not making profit here. And so there is a sense of togetherness in that we are all supportive of the higher ed mission. And also we are very empathetic to each other's realities that a lot of us are kind of on our own or in a small group We are enterprise on a budget. We are trying to solve these big scale problems. And if someone in the group is like, I've already solved that problem. They're like, here's my code. You know, like here is how I did it. You can take it. You can do what you want with it. Like that is kind of the default. And so it's a really giving environment in that way. But to bring back to the whole point, to the discussion of like teams of one, it is a interesting environment, especially compared to like a corporate world. And again, it lends itself to a lot of great discussions and we've had a lot of great presentations at our conferences about various case studies about how people have solved these big scale problems with like two people.
1: Sure. Do you find then that Well, I should ask, would you recommend that people from the corporate world maybe attend a WP campus, be it in person or or in the virtual world? Because, well, I think I know people in the corporate world also feel that pressure, like they may have larger teams, they may have larger budgets, but I, I think for just about any person in the working world, there's a feeling of the ambitions are bigger than the resources. And the tactics someone might use to navigate that dynamic could be similar, despite differences in context?
0: Definitely. I think most people, despite your industry, are familiar with having ambitions greater than your resources. But I will say that, especially folks, that corporate world is definitely welcome to to attend and open to our uh, conferences and our sessions. We post all of our sessions online in our learning library, which is on our website. So It's a great place to go check out what we're talking about and the topics we focus on. But to kind of bring bring it back to the whole enterprise on a budget, I think a lot of folks that work in enterprise, even if they have a budget, would be very interested in a lot of the discussions going on in higher ed because ultimately, we do have a lot of discussions about governance. How do you manage all this content? We're having discussions about performance because we're running... You know, multi sites with like two hundred subsites on them. We're talking about how you manage a multi site with you know two to three hundred sites on it, and the governance of that. How you spin up new sites and bring them down. How you do you know lots of security, a lot of higher ed. I feel like this hasn't been discussed in a while, but I I do remember a lot of the early days of even our event, and before that, with my experience in higher ed, a lot of discussions were you know, higher ed IT departments didn't want to use WordPress because it wasn't secure. So there's lots of discussions that we have about security, especially when you have so many hands in the pot, so to speak. A lot of higher ed, multi-site is big in higher ed. So if you are interested in multi-site at all, we have tons of discussions about that. But the concept of a domain of one's own grew out of higher ed. Actually, a lot of stuff grew out of higher ed. But the domain of one's own is this whole idea about having the ability for like faculty and staff to have a domain of their own and to have their own website and to be in control of that website and a lot of universities will use WordPress and what it looks like in its implementation is usually like a multi-site of blogs and so like A faculty member can request to have a blog on that network, and then they are given flexibility of whatever is set up for them inside of WordPress to own that blog and own that content. And and generally, it's to publish research and, you know, to talk about their role at the university, so to speak. But so, yeah, there's a lot of enterprise problems that are happening in higher ed. So we talk a lot about those problems and how folks in our world solve them.
1: I'm resisting the urge to plug Pantheon's custom upstream feature, which for some universities is a better fit than the multi-site capability that's built into WordPress that we do both on Pantheon. There's one detail I'd, I'd rather spend time with you drawing out, though, which is the collaborative nature of academic culture. You're talking about building sites for professors or, or academics who who are probably Sharing their research, sharing their ideas with professors and academics at other institutions, I've got a hunch that part of the culture here with WP campus is a greater willingness to share technical work to share security best practices relative to the rest of the web industry. I think part of that comes from WordPress and the openness of WordPress. I think part of it though comes from the openness of the academic community. Do you see a similar dynamic there?
0: Yes, definitely a lot of what the academic community is trying to do and aiming to do is to share knowledge. And so you do see that come across strongly and even the IT department, right? And don't get me wrong. I've met some folks at universities that sharing a lot of technical scares them, but it's more of a security viewpoint, right? Like it's, I'm scared about security stuff, but the overall vibe and the overall. You know, willingness to share is really prominent. And in the higher ed space, especially from like a web space, there are so many different implementations of the web when it comes to the higher ed world. There's marketing websites, there's faculty staff blogs, there's student blogs, there's you need a website, you know, for like. Some student groups and let the students blog or let them coordinate with each other. You need web applications for variety of needs that you might need an application for applying to the university or applying within the university for something specific or, you know, so there's just there's so many things going on. There's hats upon hats, right? There's like, there's niches upon niches, even within higher ed. Most of the stuff that I've worked on over the years has generally been marketing brochure websites. But I do know I have worked on some, you know, web application type deals, some of that in WordPress, some of that without WordPress. There's lots of, on that topic, there's even lots of little caveats within the higher ed world of like when to use WordPress and when to not use WordPress. And like, that's a mindset I would hope for anyone on the web. When's it best to use WordPress and when's it best to not use WordPress? What
1: answer do you give <laughs> but, <laughs> to that question when someone asks you, should we use WordPress for this? How do you approach that question?
0: Well, the idea that came to mind when I was sort of going down this road of thought was in my experience, a lot of universities and a lot of their groups, you know, they don't want to use WordPress for certain types of like data gathering. And the main reason for that is the amount of users that can like log in to WordPress. And there's this concern over like, what data can they access? You know, like it's no big deal for them. if It's just a marketing website, like, but it can be a little overwhelming. I say this to say like user permissions are a thing. But it can be overwhelming to like, imagine that from like, well, what if we have, let's just say like a form, we have a form builder plugin that's gathering potentially sensitive information. And then, you know, all of a sudden, like, we don't quite know who can easily access that plugins, you know, submissions. And then all of a sudden, we have a student logging in to manage a page. And then, oh, no, they can access the form submissions. You know, so there's lots of something sort of unique to higher ed that maybe not you know, necessarily most marketing websites is this notion, you know, of sensitive, and identifiable information. And so there's lots of elements to that that you have to consider when you're like choosing how am I going to gather information on the internet? And so that's definitely one thing that comes to mind when people ask, you know, should we use or not use WordPress?
1: One detail I'd like to pull out is that connectedness to the mission, the barrage of requests that can come into a person working on the web within a university. What do you do as a web professional when just keeping up with the incoming requests for another professor needs another site, another student group needs something? Can you evaluate whether or not this whole site is accessible? What do you do when the inbound requests are more than you can keep up with? How do you keep yourself above water? How do you stay focused on the bigger picture?
0: I will say that I am a person who is very good at multitasking and keeping four to five, you know, balls, juggling at any given time. And I credit a lot of that to my work in higher ed because, you know, for the good or the bad, I have had to do a lot In one role. I've had to wear, you know, four to five hats at any given time. And so I feel like perspective is very important at any point when you feel like you might be overwhelmed. Another thing that is very important for folks is communication and setting expectations. And so it is not uncommon to have to tell people in higher ed that, like, listen, we don't have the time for that right now. We are booked you know, we are full to the brim, but to set communication and to set expectations from an honest and true perspective is very important in my experience. A lot of folks struggle with that because this is general to like humans and not higher ed, but a lot of people, you know, they don't want to say no. They don't want to say, no, I can't help you. But the reality is you are one person doing five jobs and I cannot help you right now. And so Learning those lessons over time, learning set expectations and saying no, and here's why I had to say no, and communicating is definitely a good skill to learn in the higher ed space when you are trying to do as much as you can, but even you are a human being with limits, and you know, you're only getting paid for 40 hours a week, and so that skill set and that more humanity aspect of the job is very important.
1: I've got a hunch that it may be even more common in higher ed than the rest of the web world for the people making those requests of the web team to think of of the web team as kind of a a purely transactional relationship where like the request is made and you just got to do it. And okay, it may take one week or two, but the relationship from the perspective of the requester might be I tell Rachel to make me a website and she does. And, I'm, and, you know, having spent years as a web developer, like, I felt like, hey, I'm a human being. I imagine you have some experience where it felt like you needed a more human to human relationship with the people making those types of requests. Have you found skills, tactics for navigating those relationships?
0: You are very true. I do feel like A lot of this has depended on where I've been and the kind of team I'm on. But there has been lots of experience on my part with where I'm getting just requests from people that don't even like know who I am, right? Like they submitted a ticket on a website and it came to me and they don't know my name, much less, you know, what I do. But that varies. And but that definitely is something that happens. And in my experience... You know, I have found that trying to connect with those types of people or in those situations, still trying to connect with those people helps profoundly, even if it's just reaching out from like a personal email and having some personal messages, or if you have a chance to meet them, great. If not, you know, email or Slack or something is better than nothing. But just like with almost any industry with this type of situation where you have people asking for stuff and they have no idea who's doing it on the other end, having a stronger human connection can help leaps and bounds, right? Because especially if it's like, I want the ability to say no to people, right? Like just because you've asked me to do something doesn't mean I'm just going to do it. It's not my job to just blindly do whatever people ask. It's my job to be a good steward of our website, in support of our mission. But when you say no to someone, having that human connection helps a lot, right? And saying no and here's why, or no, here's why and here's other options. You know, and so the more that you can communicate and connect with rando professor in the biology department who wants to put some kind of inaccessible tool on their website that they found off of third party internet site. You know, like being able to talk to that person and tell them, you know, no, but here's why and here's maybe another option. In my experience, working at a university with also a good policies really also helps as this. And a lot of universities do have policies. You'd be hard pressed to find one that doesn't have at least some, but a lot of universities will have accessibility policies that can come in really handy, and it's a great tool to use to have conversations with the non-technical people about, you know, why you're making these decisions, why this is important. It makes those conversations a lot easier. Don't get me wrong, people still get frustrated because they don't understand, especially if they're not technical, they don't understand why they can't put this iframe from some third-party site on your website, but hopefully it lends to conversation and something constructive.
1: Yeah, I imagine that's something web developers working in less mature organizations could adopt. I think part of the reason universities have that is because some universities have the maturity of 100, 200, 300 years of existence. And they know that if you want (laughs) to enforce anything at that scale of thousands and thousands of people, you might need a written-down policy. And for web developers who are working in a small, scrappy company of a dozen people or less... It might be harder to say, well, the performance is bad or the accessibility is bad. Maybe more concrete to say, no, we have decided that we're not going to put anything on our website that brings our performance bar below this lighthouse score, or we're not going to do anything that violates these uh, accessibility rules. Are there other areas of work where you feel like the maturity or the inertia, perhaps, of a higher ed institution helps you in your web work rather than the sometimes slow pace of a university hindering you?
0: Yes, because I will say that in my experience, a lot of it lends to kind of like what you said, years of experience. The universities that I've worked at that have had well-documented policies are much easier to get things done. And not just because policies are just like easy ways to say no, but because policies set expectations. And the more that users have expectations have well set expectations of how things work the easier they are to work with because they understand parameters and so a lot of the universities that i've worked at have large policies well documented policies they're the policies are easy to find and communicate or even just like basic documentation right like lots of universities especially ones that say like have these large domains of one own these large multi sites with 200 websites on it they most likely have well-documented or they have good documentation of how to use these websites and here's how to set one up and here's how to make sure it stays accessible. And a lot of universities will use quality assurance tools. These are really handy that scan your websites and give you reports of things that are broken or images that are broken or even misspellings or links that are broken, accessibility things. and once I was a team of one for a large student affairs organization at a university with, I managed about 60 websites on my own and every website had multiple 20, 30 content editors and having a quality assurance tool that gave me this great bird's eye view, right? I could go in and I could keep an eye on the content from up above, make sure it was meeting our standards. A lot of these tools allow you to like set standards of how you want phone numbers to be displayed and you can be alerted, you know, when it's not. Those types of tools are just like, you can't function without them if you're one person. But from a human element, something fun that I did was I turned it into a game because the content editors could use the tool too and it would actually send them reports of any problems that it found on their website and it would give them these scores. And so every week, part of it was that I had the luxury of having some content editors who really got into it and wanted their score to be perfect all the time. So every time that email came in, they were like, they were fixing it and they were on top of it. And so once a month or maybe once every two weeks, I coordinated like a a meetup and all the content editors could come. And we would give out swag to the people who had the highest scores. So there's lots of ways to get creative, even when you're a team of one.
1: A team of one working with like a thousand plus content editors. That's incredible. Yeah, right? One thing I think team of one or a web team might think in that situation where, oh, there are a thousand content editors and we can't control them. And... It's tough to incentivize good behavior. A reaction I've seen becoming more and more common in the last decade or so is for the web team to think, I know what we can do to make sure things don't get out of control. We will cut the website in half, we'll decouple, we'll go headless, and that will lock down what is possible on the content side. A different layer, a head, will control what's happening with the visual presentation. Having decoupled, the www.wpcampus.org site, what recommendations, what advice, what thoughts would you have to share with someone in higher ed or elsewhere in that mindset of thinking, maybe if I decouple, if I have something else, a static site generator or a Node.js-based front-end serving out my content from WordPress, that'll solve all my problems, right? Is it that simple? Will it solve all your problems?
0: No, it's not that simple. So, yes, I had the pleasure of working with Steve a couple of years ago. The WP Campus websites hosted on Pantheon. We're very grateful. Pantheon has been a big supporter of our community since day one. I don't remember who came to who, but I'm going to imagine that I came to Steve and was like, hey, can we do decoupled websites on Pantheon and turn this great project? And so the actual www.wpcampus.org is a decoupled Gatsby website. And then we have a WordPress admin to manage all the content. So to start diving into advice, I would say the real big topic that you need to focus on when thinking about if decoupled is something you should do is really comes down to your workflow. And because decoupled has a lot of benefits. For example, it can make it really fast. You can have a static site. like. WordPress can be quite fast, but like, this can be super fast. And another benefit, in my opinion, this is very much a personal preference, is that it allows you an opportunity to try and use different tools. So maybe you want to use WordPress to manage all the content, which is just a great, you know, that's kind of like the reason it exists, right? It's a content management system. But that doesn't mean you have to use it on the front end. And so... By decoupling it, you can use different tools on the front end and you can more easily move between tools, you know? So for example, I don't develop in Gatsby anymore, so, but I already have this decoupled structure set up so I could try something else. I could try, you know, some other tool to make the front end. I could try Svelte or 11d or whatever. I have this kind of easy environment already set up to be super flexible. Another great, you know, use for it, especially in like higher ed would be this notion of like having a central content space, but then like sending it out to a bunch of different, a couple of websites or whatever your creative mind can imagine. There's tons of room for benefits and how flexible it can allow you to be and flexible it can allow your website to be. Uh, you can be in super specific control of what goes in the front end as opposed to the challenges that can sometimes come with wordpress where like you install a plugin and it adds css and javascript to every page of your website and you're like but i'm only using this plugin on one page but now it's on you know every single page not that you can't necessarily manage that but having a decoupled environment you have all the control of what goes on the front end and what makes it there with all that said having another environment means managing another environment. And it means managing another, you know, probably a build of some sort. And it means when you hit, you know, save or publish on a WordPress page, you know, you probably have to go do something else to get it to go to the website. Or you have to manage, you know, some kind of trigger webhook functionality that goes and builds the website. But that can be a good thing, right? Like, It's all about your workflow. Maybe it's a good thing that when random content editor edits a page, there's a process before it goes to the website because you want someone else to look at it and approve it before they publish the changes.
1: Around that time that we were collaborating on the static site generator version of WP Campus, I was also collaborating with a bank on the same WordPress to static site generator Gatsby setup. And one of the ways I thought about it was, what would be worse for this website? Would it be worse to have the web page have the incorrect thing published? Or would it be worse for the website to be completely down or just outdated? And for a lot of websites out there, I think the nature of WordPress and other content management systems assumes like you want to be able to update fast. And if something is briefly incorrect, eh, that's fine. But that's not fine for a bank. For a bank, (laughs) it might be preferable to have that hard cutoff of like, there's a built version of a static site, and it is deployed, and we'll make some other changes. And there is a clearer point in time when the next whole version of the website is published. And with, with static site generators, it often feels to me like print publishing workflows, or like when that build process runs, it kind of feels like the next hard copy of A paper report coming off the printer. And for much of the web, that's not preferable. But for some of the web, (laughs) that is preferable to be like, this is the new version of the website, it has been built, it has been printed. That's preferable for some teams.
0: That's a great way to describe it. Because yeah, it feels like you're versioning your website, right? Like this is the new version. And one struggle that I know a lot of folks especially in higher ed, and I'm sure outside of higher ed have with even the way that WordPress manages content is that it's really hard. You have to write custom functionality or use a plugin to truly have versions of content. One of the tools I'm always asked to build in higher ed for a WordPress site is the ability to edit content that's already published, but not have the edits published. So folks want to edit content And then they want to have someone look at it and approve it and then have it replace the published page. But out of the box in WordPress, you can't do that without like copying and pasting a page, renaming it or something or whatever, you know, then sharing it as a draft. And then like, how do you change it to be the published version? Yeah. So it's still
1: a surprisingly difficult workflow here in the 2020s. (laughs)
0: Yes, it's painful. There are
1: ways to do it, but it feels somehow harder than it feels like it should be. <laughs> so
0: yeah. So for like enterprise instances of WordPress, this is a huge challenge.
1: Yeah. Well, if we're looking into the future here, I'm curious, what does the future of WP Campus look like?
0: A great question, Steve. So recently it was announced that I'm stepping down as a director. And so right now... We're doing some exciting work with a working group for our leadership transition, and so we meet every other week. We have a transition channel in the Slack we have our meetings. We're doing everything on the open, and we welcome anyone to join. Our current topic right now is we recently became a nonprofit, and so in order to really retain that, we have to build a new board or a board. And so we're working through what that looks like. And we're about to start talking about, you know, how do we fill the board? And so it's very interesting conversation and it's really exciting. And I am very excited for this future at WP campus and what it will mean. And hopefully more and more people get involved. So, yeah, we, like most folks, we were also, you know, Dealing with COVID, we've had two online conferences. Yeah, 2020, we had online as our main one. 2021, our main conference was online. We are not having a conference this year. It just didn't work out because we very much tried to do an in-person and we sent out a survey and the vibe was very much like people don't feel comfortable yet, which I totally get something that we do a lot in WP campus is, yes, I'm in charge and I'm generally making decisions, but I do it with data and feedback and surveys. So we, we love our surveys and the surveys are basically like, yeah, no. And so we tried to push it back to the fall and that was kind of another yeah, no. And so we're not going to have one this year, which will be our first year, not having one at all, but I am talking with Tulane in New Orleans to go ahead and grab our dates for next summer. So the hope being that next summer for WP Campus 2023, we'll be back in our normal July dates, probably the midweek of July, and at Tulane University in New Orleans. And I cannot wait! Like I'm so excited. I'm so excited to see our community in person. I'm so excited to plan. I actually like planning these conferences. They're a lot of fun. They're time consuming, but they're a lot of fun. I'm especially excited to plan a conference in New Orleans because I, being from the South, love New Orleans. I will stay there for like a week before and like a week after and I will just like live it up in New Orleans.
1: That sounds great. <laughs> Yeah. I'll pencil it in on my schedule. We're a year out, but I'll block it off. I
0: should send out like save <laughs> the right. date postcards. Yes, yeah, save yeah. the
1: dates. <laughs> All right. Well, one final question before we go, Rachel. Thanks so much for joining me here on We Make the Internet. At Pantheon, we often like to say that web operations is a team sport. What was the best web team that you were a part of and why? Oh,
0: that's a great question. Probably the team that I'm on now. I work for myself. I've been contracting for a few years now, but one of my contracts is with a great web team at Cornell University. And we're doing some fun stuff and we're bringing on a lot of talent. Actually, right now we're trying to hire another part-time contractor to help me out on the WordPress stuff so that I can do more front-end accessibility work, which I'm excited about. And But yeah, it's a great team. It's a lot of collaboration. We just hired a UX person. So of all the web teams, especially in higher ed, this is by far the biggest team I've been a part of. And a team that, unlike what we talked about earlier with all these like one-person teams wearing all the hats, we are building this great team of unique skill sets. You know, I will be accessibility and front-end. The new person will take over WordPress back-end stuff. We have a UX person. We have some vendors that help with content strategy and things like that. So we are building this great team of collaborative skill sets. And so that is, you know, a lot of fun. And it's not a bad gig to really love what you do with most of your time, right?
1: <laughs> I agree. It makes it a lot easier. <laughs> makes, it a lot, yeah, makes it a
0: lot
1: more fun, right? Yeah. Well, Rachel Cherry, thanks so much for joining me here on the podcast and I'll see you on the internet.
0: Thank you,
1: Steve. Bye, everybody.
0: Bye.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of We Make the Internet. If you like today's show, please give us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Hey, and even if you didn't like today's show, you can still leave a review saying why. Feedback is important here on the internet. It's how we get better. Special thanks to Jeff Duba, Jeff Large, and Maggie Fisher of Come Alive Creative for podcast production work. You can find them at comealivecreative.com. I'm your host, Steve Persh. You can find me just about everywhere online as at Steve Ector. See you on the internet.